another Wednesday, another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And how you doing today? Things beginning to sunny up just a little bit. We go to our weather observer in the uh, in the field. Susan, do you have the clear skies yet at Surprise, Nebraska? Uh, no. When I went out to do television today, I wore my irrigation boots because it was drizzling. <laughs> so, But we'll take the moisture any way we can get it at this point. Absolutely. Well, I can assure you that a little sunshine is coming your way very soon. And so we go to our own uh, sunshiny Susan to find out more information. And you're saying that, that I'm going to quote a, a, a motion picture here to give you an idea what uh, what you're going to be talking about today regarding agronomists. Calm yourself, Yago. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. You know, Mother Nature hasn't been the best. This is like a repeat of 2014, yeah. according to uh, Bryce Anderson of DTN. But I catch up with an agronomist who talks about just that. Be patient. Uh, keep control of your weeds. He gives some th- thoughts and plans for this spring planting season. So that'll come more, up more at 1219. At 1245, Bryce is out in Washington, D.C. with the farm broadcaster. So he'll be talking with NCBA, specifically Kent Bacchus on China tariffs and NAFTA. And we'll dive more into what the State of the Rural America address from Ag Secretary Sonny Purdue at 117. All right. Thanks very much. Sounds like you got a busy yep. crew going there. Thanks, Susan. And it is Jason Jorgensen who has the sports force. Well, yesterday, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose said a couple of things got people's attention. First thing was he gave his vote of confidence to baseball coach Darren Erstad, yeah. and he said Erstad will be back next year. Well, that knew that made news, and then the Huskers promptly went out and were beaten by Creighton again. But uh, Erstad's <laughs> seat is not warm. Also, Moose at that luncheon yesterday in Omaha, he said with the hiring of Scott Frost, he said that would make Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh a little nervous that the Huskers were coming for them. Sure. Well, he had to backtrack a little bit on that statement. So he said he said some of that <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. But anyway, I don't know. he was... He's making some friends and influencing people I'll tell you yesterday. What, Bill's got a pretty good stable, though. I think I'd stick with him, too. He does, and he says uh, Husker fans have to be uh, patient, and Scott Frost will get things turned around. So we'll talk on some of that. Also coming up, uh, it was just two years ago that the Philadelphia 76ers were 10-72. and 72. Well, they've had a quick turnaround as they are headed on to the semifinals of the Eastern Conference playoffs. As last night, they eliminated Miami. That's a nice story. Philadelphia has not been good in basketball in the NBA for a long time. And also coming up, an interesting story about how another fledgling NFL league, I shouldn't say NFL, but fledgling professional football league, wants to fire up after January. And uh, I'll have to admit, I had not heard about this one, although it, it does have the backing of some guys who do have some experience in the NFL. So we'll let you know about that. Well, there's a long list of trials. <laughs> oh, there's a long <laughs> yeah, there list. Is. All right, Bob Brogan, what do you have to say about business? U.S. stock index is lower in midday trading. Investors worry that growing costs for critical materials, along with rising interest rates, will slow down the economy. Meanwhile, Twitter posts a profit, and uh, there's, so they're continuing to swing a big bat. Um, also, um, a report out of the University of Nebraska Bureau of Business Research says economic growth is expected to happen through the summer of 2018. Those stories and more coming up. Good listening on the way to you this Wednesday on this edition of Midday. Here comes Paul Perkins with a stack of springtime weather forecasts <laughs> for you here. And our ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. 
And it looks like a very golden opportunity this weekend to get some probably field work and probably a lot of planning going to be getting done by uh, the weekend as temperatures really warm up up to around 80, get that soil warmed up after some nice rains over the last day or so. Yeah, I was also looking on through the weekend into the early part of next week, and although we had our severe weather awareness week a couple of weeks ago already, looks like we might actually get a taste by, what, Monday, Sunday, Monday? Yeah, exactly. That potential for some maybe severe thunderstorms in the forecast. Uh, severe thunderstorms in the forecast right now, a little iffy on when we could see those uh, severe threats with that, but with thunderstorms, you, of course, always have that chance of something turning severe at a moment's notice. Well, you know what? We'd almost welcome <laughs> a clap of thunder. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we did see a few locations, I'm sure, with this uh, light rain over the last day or so. Uh, the rain continues to fall over far southeast Nebraska, northeast Kansas, on into Iowa and Missouri. looks like the center of that low, right over Kansas City. And they are getting some very welcome relaying welcome rain in northeast kansas they've been somewhat dry over the last uh month or so right now that clearing line in nebraska and northern kansas so basically from about west point to columbus to the Kearney area back to about norton kansas points off to the west of that seeing lots of sunshine and then the cloud cover still locked in over much of south central and southeast nebraska into central and east kansas those skies though will continue to clear as that area of low pressure departs from kansas city and we see high pressure overspread our area that'll also give us some decreasing winds as that high pressure builds from west to east with that area of high pressure overhead tonight light winds and clear skies will be in place and that will allow the temperatures to fall mostly into the 30s strong north winds arrive tomorrow with the cold front in the morning, due to the quick passage of that front and not a whole lot of moisture available, there's only going to be a slight chance of very light rain, maybe in many locations just some sprinkles. A shift to much warmer weather still on track with that ridge of high pressure as it moves overhead Friday through Saturday and also a southwest flow that sets up Sunday into early next week. Sunday night through Tuesday, with that increase in warm air and some moisture from low pressure off to our west, we may finally see some thunderstorms and in some cases, maybe some severe weather. In the long-term forecast, there is a change in those later periods. The prediction starts with seasonal to warmer than normal temperatures early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Now there's a likelihood of cooler than normal temperatures late next week through May 8th in Nebraska and Kansas. Now stay tuned. This could change since there is a fair amount of forecast model disagreement on those later periods. Nebraska and Kansas are expected to receive near-normal precipitation Monday through May 8th. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the upper 30s along and west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow and Imperial. Most soil temperatures in the low to mid 40s. Now along and east of a line from Omaha to Aurora and Phillipsburg, those soil temperatures right around 50. Weather factors affecting the markets include a warmer pattern, improving Midwest planning, and only modest benefit from rain across the southern plains. A storm crossing the nation's midsection will produce generally light rain from the southern plains into the southeast and along the Atlantic. By the weekend, favorably warm weather will overspread the northern plains and the Midwest. That pattern is going to be favorable for row crop field work and planning, including the western and northern Midwest, where the snow and cold this month has delayed the onset of field work. Corn planting right now the slowest in four years. In the northern plains, warmer weather with only scattered light rain will offer improved conditions for planting and early crop development. Spring wheat planting is just 2% complete in South Dakota. That compares to the usual average of 50% complete. Spring wheat planting had not even started 
in Montana and North Dakota. The wheat areas of the southern plains will see an increase in rain chances the next five days, but only a modest easing of the drought is expected with that, and reduced wheat production already is likely. You know, we were talking about maybe thunder, and I saw what looked like it might have been a little thunderstorm that formed and uh, dove down between about the Harvard, Trumbull, Inland, Glenville area today. Maybe that shook things loose. Maybe we'll finally get spring here. Exactly. It it looks like it's going to be firmly in control by this weekend for everybody. Very good. Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, has brought you this edition of the Ag Weather with Paul Perkins. And we remind you that if and when it does come, and that's an inevitability. It's just a matter of when the clock runs out. Our Storm Center coverage is brought to you by Skeeter Barnes and by American Family Insurance. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Senators want Agricultural Secretary to be a stronger voice in the Trump administration. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now here on the Rural Radio Network as we take a quick look at your midday ag news. Republican and Democratic Senators praised Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue yesterday for his advocacy on agriculture within the Trump administration, but urged him to be a stronger voice. In an opening statement at a hearing entitled The State of Rural America, Senate Agricultural Committee Chairman Pat Roberts said while it makes sense to take a look at the North American Free Trade Agreement and to hold trading partners such as China accountable to their World Trade Organization commitments. Trade actions like those we have seen on steel, aluminum, washing machines, and solar panels also put the U.S. at risk for retaliatory measures that harm jobs not only to agriculture but across all sectors. History has shown us that far too often it is agriculture that bears the brunt of that harm, Roberts said. I hope that the United States and China can work aggressively to resolve these issues before we enter a full-blown trade war. Senate Agriculture Ranking Member Debbie Stabenow added, I share Chairman Roberts' concern on this. I believe we need tough trade enforcement when countries break the rules, but we must do everything we can do to ensure there are no unintended consequences for our farmers. And at the end of the hearing, Roberts asked for and got commitment from Purdue that he would support efforts to have the Agriculture Department run the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility currently under construction in Manhattan, Kansas. And another ag news. Waivers granted to small refineries in 2016 and 2017 may have prevented about 1.6 billion gallons of biofuels from entering the fuel supply, according to a new analysis of EPA performed by the Renewable Fuels Association. The EPA has drawn fire for a seeming lack of transparency on waivers dating back to 2016, including declining to provide details about the companies receiving waivers and the amount of biofuel blending excluded. The agency granted granted nearly 40 RFS waivers to so-called small refiners since 2016, including about 25 in 2017 alone. Included in last year's total is a request by Endeavor, which posted a $1.5 billion profit last year. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is scheduled to testify Thursday for the House Energy and Commerce Environment Subcommittee in the morning and House Interior Environment and Related Agencies Appropriations Subcommittee in the afternoon. Though both hearings are on the EPA's 2019 budget, Pruitt is expected to be grilled on the RFS and other issues. And back here in Nebraska, ag producers in Furnace, Red Willow, and Hitchcock counties are eligible to receive $49.29 per acre assistance for planting multi-species cover crops after wheat or other summer harvested crop. 
Grazing is allowed on up to 75% of the field but is not required. The application deadline is May 18th. This regional conservation partnership program's cropland cover initiative is a partnership between the National Resources Conservation Service, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and the Nebraska Environmental Trust. Interested producers can find more information by contacting their county offices in Furnace, Red Willow, or Hitchcock. And finally, U.S. dairy groups today commended the bipartisan efforts of 68 members of Congress who encouraged the U.S. Trade Representative to eliminate Canada's tariffs on U.S. dairy exports and its protectionist pricing policies during the North American Free Trade Agreement negotiations. The bipartisan coalition of members of Congress representing states on both coasts and in the Midwest sent a letter yesterday to Ambassador Robert Lighthizer urging him to demand an end to Canada's Class 7 pricing programs and dairy tariffs. That's a day look at ag news on the rural radio network it's a repeat of 2014 spring when it comes to weather good afternoon i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network dave warner with crop top ag services out of albion nebraska talks to me about this year's planting season and it comes down to one simple word we just gotta be patient that's the number one thing you know i don't doesn't really matter that we're into the end of april you know, if the soil temperature is not right, we just can't go out there and stick it in the ground. We could have a lot of problems, you know, with seedling blights and those kind of things with this sitting in cool temperatures, trying to, you know, trying to struggle to emerge. So, you know, the number one thing is we all have to be, you know, very patient. And I'm, I'm talking more about corn right now than I am about soybeans. You know, we're, we're running soybeans, you know, around the country. A lot of guys are, are starting on beans up this way anyways. I know down south around Grand Island, they're running more. You know, corn, but, uh, you know, we just, we just gotta be very patient and watching these temperatures because, you know, it looks like in the next couple, three days, you know, we're gonna get a lot warmer. You know, the, the, the nighttime temperatures are gonna start creeping up very well. So, you know what? We, we just need to be sitting tight. And when the, the time is right, you know, and the sun's shining and we get some warm temperatures and we can go. What about for the weed concern? No, and I'll tell you, you know, if we could, uh, if we could patent weeds to grow, you know, if we could do our corn and soybeans to grow like weeds do when it's cold, then, you know, we'd have something going for us. But, you know, number one, it's been way too cold to spray anything on these weeds because it just won't take it in when it's so cold. So we've had to sit here and wait on that also. But these weeds do still continue to grow some. So, you know, we're getting to that point now where we're getting those nighttime temperatures up there, you know, Especially, you know, daytime temperatures have hit 70, 65. So, you know, we're, we're ready. We're really ready to uh, maybe start doing some spraying right now. But, uh, you know, this would be about the first that we really could do something because, you know, as last week, you know, it's still too cold. Ground temperatures are sitting in the, the mid 40s right now. So, you know, we're going to get we're going to get ready to really crank up and, and do everything. Well, and considering the the economic times that we're in you got to be frugal if you have to replant that's lost money you're right susan I'm, i tell you you know we all talk about how trying to save money and trying to do things that we can cut costs on but still be right you know number one thing is if we put this seed in the ground right now just thinking that it's april you know the 26th we need to get it in the ground because this is the date that it is and it's too cold and it won't do anything or we have struggles with uh you know, leafing out under the ground with corn or beans sit there and just, you know, won't germinate. 
you know, what is that doing for us? It's doing nothing. We're, we're spending money and spending money on seed, spending money on, you know, fuel and everything else. And you know what? We're, we're not getting anywhere. We're not going forward. We're going backwards. So we just, you know, again, we just need to sit here and, and watch the soil temperatures. And when they start rising, then we go. What is the optimism or attitude of producers that you're speaking to that you deal with with, the, with your crop consulting business? Well, I think a lot of them, you know, and we'll, we'll talk here, Susan, about the vast number of things from trade, you know, to all to, um, to planting. You know, everybody was worried about when we put those tariffs on, you know, that was really going to hurt the corn market and the soybean market which it has not. You know, we are actually higher in our soybean and corn price than we were last year this time. Those comments with Dave Warner. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jordan. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, on a day in which athletic director Bill Moose gave head coach Darren Erstad a vote of confidence and said Erstad would be back to coach the Huskers next year, and you continue to struggle, losing at home to Creighton 12-9. The Jays actually led that game 10-1 to before the Huskers came back and made it interesting. Scott Schreiber and Jesse Wilkening had nice nights for the Huskers. They each had a home run and combined to go 5 for 8 from the plate, but it wasn't enough. The Huskers now slip to 17-22 and on the year. They're scheduled to host Nevada in a three-game series that begins tomorrow night. Philadelphia 76ers have advanced to the NBA's Eastern Conference semifinals just two years after going 10-72. and They eliminated Miami 104-91 in Game 5 last night. It's the 76ers' first playoff series win in six years. Former KU star Joel Embiid scored 19 points and grabbed 12 rebounds. 76ers will now take on either Boston or Milwaukee in the next round. In baseball, Dodgers ace Clayton Kershaw has a 2.45 ERA after five starts, not far off his career mark of 2.36. But his one-loss record this season looks unusual. He's just 1-3. The three-time NL Cy Young Award winner was a combined 67-18 and over the previous four years and try to get back in the victory column when he starts tonight against Miami at Dodger Stadium. And Atlanta has been chosen to join Orlando as franchises a new Alliance of American Football that will begin play next February. The Atlanta Alliance has hired former NFL coach Brad Childress as its head coach, with Michael Vick serving as Childress's offensive coordinator. Now Atlanta is the second city to get a franchise in the league that was created by Pro Football Hall of Fame member Bill Pulliam and longtime TV and film producer Charlie Ebersole. The Alliance has a TV deal with CBS and plans to open its first season of the week after next year's Super Bowl. Another veteran coach, Steve Spurrier, is in charge of the Orlando team, and the team will play at Georgia State Stadium. And in NASCAR, Matt Kenseth will return to NASCAR this year in a reunion with Rouse Fenway Racing, the team that gave him his cup start back in 1998. Kenseth will split the number six Ford with Trevor Bain, who's been the full-time driver of that car since 2015. Kenseth has sponsorship from Wyndham Hotels Resorts, and his return will come next month at Kansas Speedway. Now, if you remember, he lost his ride last season when Gibbs had to let the veteran go to make room for Eric Jones and a wave of younger NASCAR drivers. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm 
Dave Schroeder. Clear skies tonight, lows mid-30s to lower 40s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Yesterday, the Code Drug Task Force, with assistance of the Wing and Central Nebraska Safe Streets Task Forces, arrested six individuals in Lexington on charges ranging from conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine to money laundering. In addition, three state search warrants were conducted that resulted in the recovery of three rifles, two handguns, body armor, various amounts of methamphetamine and marijuana and drug paraphernalia, along with over $500 in U.S. currency. Those arrested include 28-year-old Liban Aiden, 19-year-old Mark Suventes, 25-year-old Jordan Rockbrain, 24-year-old Manuel Arroyo, 18-year-old Arturo Ceja Ceballos, all of Lexington. Also arrested was 44-year-old Joel Sanchez Flores of Commerce City, Colorado. Two men are still being sought. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Roberto Ceja Arredondo or Jesus Pinella Castillo is asked to contact the Nebraska State Patrol. At a hearing of the Senate Ag Committee Tuesday, U.S. Senator Deb Fischer questioned U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue on several important topics for Nebraska and rural America, among them better Internet services in sparsely populated rural areas. I would stress to you the importance of broadband deployment and ask you what uh, the department is, is doing to help um, see that um, brought to fruition. Purdue told Senator Fisher that he appreciates the $600 million the U.S. Senate placed in the omnibus bill to develop pilot projects to improve broadband connectivity. Pilots that demonstrate how this can be deployed across the United States. It's not going to be done for $600 million, but we hope to use that as a uh, uh, as money to optimize and to leverage other money from the private sector, be they rural utility co-ops, rural telephone co-ops, or the private sector in order to reach areas like yours that uh, uh, depend on the a broadband connectivity. It is the interstate highway of the 21st century. Purdue agreed with Senator Fisher that better internet services are needed in sparsely populated rural areas in order to avoid further erosion of opportunities. Other issues touched on during Fisher's exchange with Ag Secretary were trade and safeguarding the renewable fuel standard. Kansas legislators could consider a gun rights proposal and new legal protections for faith-based adoption agencies after reconvening this week. Republican Governor Jeff Collier and Catholic bishops are backing a proposal to allow state foster care contractors to do business with adoption agencies that refuse on religious grounds to place children in LGBT homes. Meanwhile, some lawmakers want to decrease the age for carrying concealed guns to 18 from 21. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Trade concerns continue as the Trump administration takes an aggressive stance. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. Kent Backus is the Director of International Trade and Market Access at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I caught up with him earlier this week in Washington, D.C. Kent, last time you and I talked, uh, we were talking about NAFTA, TPP, and trade as a, a wide perspective. And what do you know, a few months later, we're back here. Not a whole lot to report on, but we're hearing NAFTA might be closer talking about this summer. What have you heard on that front? Well, anyway, we're also following the situation. Uh, I think there's, uh, there's really an effort by all three countries to see a conclusion of the negotiations here in just the next few weeks. Uh, you know, we're hopeful that that's the case, but... You know, it's anyone's guess at this point. There's still a lot of issues that uh, they need to address. And so, you know, 
I think they're going to focus on autos. They'll focus on some manufacturing stuff, maybe a few other issues. Uh, still to be seen what's going to happen with agriculture and, uh, and, and whether they're able to make any big differences there. Those are still some big outstanding differences between us and the Canadians and us and Mexico as well. So we're hopeful that there'll be some kind of resolution because at the end of the day, we need these negotiations to conclude quickly so that our negotiators can start to focus on those important Asian markets. We continue to hear the president talk about bilateral deals and how important he values those. And we talk about TPP. We had some optimism come out of the White House meeting. Maybe it was last week or the week prior. That got kind of quickly squashed back down. But TPP still remains. We're out of that, maybe looking into renegotiation. But the president wants to continue pushing forward on bilateral deals. Isn't that right? Well, you know, we've strongly encouraged President Trump to pursue bilateral trade agreements. We were disappointed when the United States walked away from TPP. Under the Trans-Pacific Partnership, we would have seen our tariff in Japan go from 38.5% to 9%. Uh, unfortunately, uh, even though we fought hard to negotiate those terms as the United States, uh, we walked away from those terms. So now our competitors from Canada and Mexico, Australia and New Zealand, uh, and even the Europeans who've negotiated a deal with Japan, all those tariffs are going to go to 9%. That makes us less competitive in our top export market. So we would obviously support the United States getting back into TPP. But if that's not the case, well, let's hit the accelerator on negotiating an agreement with Japan because we need to remain competitive there. Again, that's our biggest export market. And the last thing we want to do is lose that competitive advantage that we have fought so hard to, to gain in the market share. And you continue to hear from producers talking about Japan, too, and they really want that market back open as it relates to our Nebraska ranchers as well. They're, they often talk about that. Trade with China. Also, uh, cattle are becoming kind of in the crossfire there, potentially. That word potentially is always important to mention. Well, I think it's important to, uh, to recognize the fact that those tariffs have not yet gone into effect. And really, those are contingent on the United States assessing tariffs on Chinese imports. So uh, we're a target right now, but the tariffs have not gone into effect. Now, if they do, then the 12% tariff we currently face in China will bump up to 37%. Now that product we ship into China is already expensive because it comes from uh, from animals, the agonist. Well, we don't use those technologies. We leave a lot of money on the table. So any premium or any advantage that we would have sending beef into the Chinese market would quickly vanish. Uh, but it's not just about us. Uh, we're also watching what happens to the other to our animals. And if those producers hurt, uh, maybe they won't be in business next year, or maybe they'll be restricted on how much they produce. And that hurts us. That cuts, that cuts into us down the line. Uh, but we're also worried about potential tariffs on pork. Because when pork gets displaced, it usually goes to other markets uh, that are good beef export markets, and it makes us less competitive there as well. So it's important that we all find a way to win and move forward. Because when, when agriculture gets hit, it's not just getting hit in one part. We all feel the pain, some more than others, but it affects all of us. It's tough to think futuristically when there's so much happening right in front of us right now as the things we've talked about so far. But as you look down the road, what are the next important issues that NCBA is fighting for from your perspective? Well, trade is, is going to continue to be very important. You know, we're, uh, we need to address a lot of the, the outstanding problems we have with the European Union. We just have fundamental differences on how we view science and trade. Our science is based on risk assessments and, and peer-reviewed science. It's much more subjective in Europe. That means that uh, if those standards are ever applied to American products, 
it just makes us less competitive. Keep in mind, the population of the world is going to continue to grow. Most of that is going to be outside of our borders. In order to continue to produce more food, we have to deal with fewer resources, which means we have to be more efficient. Uh, we have to be environmentally sound in how we do that. Those are all things that we do in the United States, and we do it very well. Europe has a different approach, and we want to look to the future, not to the past. And so I think identifying and addressing and finding a way to correct these issues and just basic trade with the European Union is going to be a big issue going into the future. We also have to keep in mind that uh, we have to really open these Asian markets for our products. That's where most of the population in the world is. That's where they have a rising middle class. Uh, China is a prime example, but it's not just China. India is going to surpass China as the largest country in the world here in the next few years. We have to find a way to secure good terms of trade with these growing consumer bases uh, so that we remain competitive. That was Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Reporting in Washington, D.C., I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Now, let's get a review of this livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, it was a uh, positive day uh, in livestock futures today, for the most part. Uh, cattle uh, finishing uh, on a plus side all the way through uh, uh, with the feeders, uh, the hogs, the front uh, up through October, positive, December, February on back, a little bit weaker, but uh, cash still leading the way for the uh, for the cattle. Uh, haven't heard of much trade today so far, but uh, just the fact that we're, uh, for the most part, the majority of the trade has been above 120 continues to be uh, positive. Uh, cutouts also a positive with the uh, them being higher once again today. So uh, all in all, uh, a very good uh, day, pretty good buying all the way through. In the feeders, uh, they're following suit. This despite the fact that uh, grain's all higher and uh, and showing uh, some pretty good strength. But uh, the feeders uh, reacting really to the uh, cattle market and the underlying uh, positive tone there. Over in the hogs, uh, cash seemed to be steady to a little bit higher. You throw in uh, the uh, cutouts being sharply higher. We were trading both sides during the day, and when the uh, cutouts came out sharply higher, that turned the uh, hogs higher, uh, which uh, ended up being a very positive day all the way around for the uh, livestock. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter, first three days this week estimated at 355,000, same as a week ago. Hog slaughter at 1,395,000, 1,000 more than last week. Tuesday morning found Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue sitting before the Senate Ag Committee. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. It came as no surprise that Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas asked him exactly where we were on trade, tariffs, and how it's affecting agriculture. Well, again, I think it has to do with negotiations. Again, we've tried over the years, other administrations have tried to get China's attention and a lot of talk and no action. I think of the President Trump uh, as does have a unique negotiating style. We'll all acknowledge that. But to some degree, it's been successful. I think uh, hopefully it'll be successful with North Korea. 
as well as other countries, but uh, uh, farmers have a right to be legitimate, anxi- legitimately anxious over the future because that is their livelihood. As you know, the sorghum industry that you mentioned, that is uh, probably number one in Kansas there, had benefited by the lack of a TRQ in China. So uh, the sorghum prices had been elevated above corn, which is not traditional anywhere. Usually it's traded as a discount to uh, to corn, but because China had chosen to import sorghum rather than corn, it had had a very beneficial position they'd enjoyed since 13 on that. So our position actually is to, uh, and I have to go back and and to President looking me in the eye and saying, you know, Sonny, I know that uh, farmers out here are worried about what we're doing, but you need to tell them that I'm not going to let them be the casualties in this trade dispute. Uh, we, we have, we're not laying out the playbook about all the authorities or what we would do. And, and I'm with you, Mr. Chairman. I'd rather have trade than aid. But at some point when people are not doing right, farmers understand they don't like thieves. They don't like people who steal or cheat. They like people who play by the rules. And that's what the president's doing in calling China's hand. Now, did he understand there was probably going to be some uh, discomfort and some anxiety in the meantime? I think we all did. But uh, it has to be done. But nonetheless, while the sabers have been rattled, uh, there's time to get out at the table. And I'm hoping we'll take advantage of uh, President Xi's, uh, uh, I think, rather conciliatory remarks about uh, wanting to do some things and get back. It's and Senator Debbie Stabenow of Michigan said she wanted to talk about the level playing field that was out there for markets, for producers. And will you advocate to make agriculture a priority in these conversations about holding trading partners accountable on that piece of the equation? Absolutely, Senator, and that's what I think we've tried to do to our best of our ability. I've been a principal at the trade discussions, the really weekly trade meetings uh, that have con- been conducted throughout the last summer of 17, the fall, and even into now regarding our strategies. I've been... Uh, in touch on a regular basis, uh, probably weekly, if not more often than that, with uh, Ambassador Lighthizer. As you know, the statutes give the USTR ambassador the role of negotiator and enforcer of U.S. trade regulations. But nonetheless, we can, uh, from a USDA perch, uh, make them understand the implications of not only what's done, but what's being said regarding that as well. You made a good statement, I think, that's really driving some of the president's decisions over this because while I am mostly concerned with the U.S. ag economy, he has to be concerned with the overall economy. Discussions about trade with Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue as he answered questions from the Senate Ag Committee. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And a big rally today in winter wheat futures carried over to corn and soybeans. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. It looked like a general risk-on day is what you call it, right? Yeah, risk-on, and I think led by a market like wheat. And, and really, as we've kind of seen in the last two years, wheat represents a lot of the feed the feed complex out there, and we start to see markets like rally like this, it's just an unquantifiable event that you can really spread across all markets. So shorter term, uh, you know, I look for more up tomorrow, maybe in early next week. The, the level 416 on December will get tested. 
At this point, though, the chart looks fantastic. I mean, to think we can get through that 416 level and, and start to trade up through it, I mean, then that brings old crop above four bucks, and you're really looking at a run on, on some of the older crop from, or some of the contracts down the road. Uh, if you look out in the curve, March trading now uh, just near 420. That's next year, May up near 425, and then July is actually above 430. So we're not far from levels where you could really see some good profitability if you're willing to store the, the crop. That Selling those contracts is what guys would call using the carry. Now, it's a little scary to do it given that it's still only July of 2018, but uh, at this point, prices are there. Now the, uh, the uncertainty will become certain. It's whether or not Brazil will grow corn and if the U.S. crop is good or not. Now you look at uh, South America. And you have that dock damage in Argentina, so that rallied soy meal, I would guess. And then, same thing, it carried over to soybeans? It should. I don't know. Is, is That's the story we're going to go with, I guess, on the, uh, a dock number six in, on the Piranha River causing the global markets to rally. Uh, if that's the case, uh, somebody in organized crime needs to get down there and break it all up, because I, I have a hard time believing that's what's pushing it. It's really more... I think, uh, like you mentioned, an overall risk-on market. I think some of the markets overseas are waking up to wheat not being as productive as it was a year ago. I think you've got to start in Australia. So Australia had a bad crop a year ago, uh, and, and they're starting very, very poor again. Uh, the La Nina hasn't really broken there. Argentina, after having a very dry period, is now looking at too much rain. They can't even get it in the ground. Europe isn't doing as well, and now we're starting to hear cracks out of Russia, um, seeing some estimates anywhere between 73 million metric tons to 78 million metric tons. That's down about 10 million from where we were a year ago. So you're looking at a 12% drop in production there, low acreage in the U.S., Canadian crop off to a late start, spring wheat off to a late start, and all of a sudden you find yourself at a price that's really not expensive yet, and I don't think demand's going to get curbed. So shorter term, I think you watch the wheat. If the wheat goes up, corn will follow. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.